Welcome to Tractionville, the podcast for companies running on EOS. I'm your host, Chris White, along with Benj Miller. And today, our guests are Nick and Stephen Kars, the owners of King of Pops. Welcome to Tractionville, guys. Hello. Thank you. Glad to be here. So you guys are veterans of the EOS world, making your big debut at uh, one or, or multiple of the conferences, bringing out your King of Pops, which are a huge hit. Uh, but being, uh, I want to know the whole story, and I think our audience is going to love this, but let's start with why Popsicles? Wow, what a question. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, yeah. Steve started off, so maybe he can take this one. Yeah, so I... Uh, it's just, it could be a lot of different lengths, but my oldest, our oldest brother, we're, I'm the youngest of three. Nick is middle brother. We have one older brother who was an anthropologist, is an anthropologist still. Uh, he was doing his field work down in uh, a lot of different countries in Latin America. Ecuador and Panama were two that we visited quite a bit. And he kept introducing us on trips down there. We'd kind of go to crash on his couch or whatever, uh, the cheapest, best vacation option. And he introduced us to the paleta, which is basically similar to our popsicle, but instead of artificial flavoring and uh, dyes, it's made with uh, really, really good ingredients, interesting combinations. We kind of fell in love with it. Um, Fast forward to 2009, I was working in the insurance industry. Um, Nick had gotten me that job and got laid off um, kind of during the recession had a realization or thought that if, uh, if insurance wasn't a sure thing, potentially there were not sure things. And, uh, at the very least wanted to just have an interesting story to tell when got older, kind of imagine like sitting on a front porch, what are you going to tell your grandkid? And having all of it be in the insurance industry didn't seem like the right path. So wanted to at least give it a shot, but I had no idea kind of what it would turn into. Yeah, so I jumped in probably a few months into it. Uh, we started in 2010, and uh, it was April 1st. So at first, people thought it was just an April Fool's joke. What are these guys doing on the corner selling popsicles out of this ratty-looking cart with a rainbow umbrella? Uh, it's turned into so much more than that, but I think it was interesting. I was an attorney. I'd just gotten out of law school a few years before and was prosecuting misdemeanors in Gwinnett County, Georgia, with the, which is a suburb of Atlanta. And that was really not doing it for me either. And the recession had struck the legal field as much as it had struck, you know, so many other parts of our economy and, and culture. And so the criminal law world was not something I was passionate about. And I think being able to work for myself and do something, um, you know, obviously with my brother who I was close to would be amazing. And the, the popsicle or the paleta was just kind of a, a vehicle to do that. It was the confluence of, uh, I guess, food trucks and street food and local food and, you know, makers and all of those kinds of things coming together. And it seemed like an accessible thing that we could start kind of cheap and be connected to. And it didn't take super uh, heavy duty skills or education to, to get going with it. So took it and ran. And here we are. So Nick, I, I want to back up a little bit. You go to undergrad, you go to law school. You're two years into a, a budding career after after you know dedicating all that hard work. So not uncommon, right? I mean, my father went to college for one thing and never did it, right? But was was the 
was it a hard decision or just did you feel it after two years, like in your bones, you're like, you know what? I don't know what I'm going to do, but it's not going to be this. Yeah, I would say it's closer to the latter. Um, I knew that it wasn't going to be criminal law. I still have a, uh, a fondness for law overall and, yeah. you know, really enjoy reading um, Supreme Court cases or hearing about them or whatever. But I don't think for me, criminal law was that. What I'd actually gone to school for was kind of copyright and trademark law, mm. like soft IP, yeah. and how that uh, played with the internet, technology, music, and, and the creative space. Um, unfortunately, that's a super uh, specific field and not something that there are many jobs around for um, in 2008 when I graduated. So but by good fortune, I got a job. And unfortunately, it wasn't something that I, I truly was passionate about. Sure. So I guess when, when it came down to it, it was not a difficult decision to leave for that reason. Um, and I think I didn't really know where this would go necessarily. But I knew that it would be something that was more fun. And uh, like Steve said, we had to had to give it a try. I mean, if for nothing else, it would be a good story when you're when you're quote unquote grown up and, yeah. and talking to your grandkids on the front porch. So, so Stephen, for Tractionville audience that aren't familiar with your brand, um, they yeah. absolutely do not live in Atlanta, if that's the case. But in Atlanta and even <laughs> the southeast, you guys um, you guys created quite the business out of popsicles, but even more so a brand that absolutely, it seemed to go from nowhere to everywhere in Atlanta overnight. What do you attribute that growth and scale and take us behind the scenes? What, what were some of the challenges? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I think first of all, King of Pops is just uh, a pops that we produce popsicles. We bring them to people in several different ways. Um, those might be carts, so out at like your festivals and farmers markets, catering, uh, which is like for us, if we come to your office and you want to treat your staff to something nice or a wedding or what have you. And then there's kind of the, the typical CPG angle, which is uh, um, stores like Whole Foods and mom and pops and independents. And uh, we kind of fell into each of them um, in different ways. We started out just selling that's what made the most sense on a, a, a street corner out of the cart that's what we'd seen before and then when people asked us to do things we were like huh people will pay us to do that that's, that's interesting <laughs> um so i don't i don't think um i don't think from our perspective it was overnight um we're, we're in this almost this is our 10th season so almost 10 years in and i think there's been steady and incremental growth in a lot of different ways and i think we've kept like, like you said, like the core in town Atlanta market really engaged with kind of just doing new stuff, whether it was a farm or delivering Christmas trees or composting or uh, starting a, a bar where we sell cocktails. Um, I think it was more of a, a strategy of let's bring people along for the ride. Let's have some fun and do our best not to take ourselves too seriously, which is, which is just a consistent challenge. I think no matter what you're doing in, in life. All right. Time out. You just named a bunch of random things. So <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> All right. Well, I, to take a step backwards, uh, we wrote a vision for our company, uh, pretty early on. And in, in that vision, we said we wanted to be a, a company that stayed within the South. So, instead of going for world domination, um, 
instead of going wide, we decided to go deep. And in order to do that, uh, for us, that meant um, connecting with people around popsicles, but then also lots of different ways. So every year, there's this darn season called winter that always sneaks up on us. And although it doesn't seem like it this year, the, the temperature drops and people are less interested in uh, pops. So uh, one of our first businesses was after King of Pops was, was Tree Elves, which is basically Christmas tree delivery in elf outfits. And then we pick up the tree afterwards. It was just uh, the best idea we had to utilize um, our staff, which were really customer friendly pop slingers. We imagined they'd be happy elves as well. And then also our fleet of trucks um, that could kind of fit a handful of Christmas trees in the back. So each step of the way, each winter or each uh, every year or two, we kind of usually kind of add one thing to the mix that we're doing and all, all uh, revolve around the King of Pops solar system, but not, um, not always the most direct connection as, as you kind of could guess with, with, uh, Christmas trees, for example. Yeah. So how do you make sure that they fit with a, a VTO? Like what does your VTO give you that allows you to the litmus test on what fits and what doesn't? Hmm. Great question. Uh, Nick, why don't you, why don't you think that way? <laughs> yeah. So I think our VTO is important because um, we, we pretty early on started working with an implementer and went through the whole process of defining who we were as a company, both from a core values standpoint, a purpose standpoint, and then how that rolls up. And so we've had iterations over the years of one VTO and several VTOs. And right now what we're doing, we're, we're running our entire um, family of businesses as one. And so instead of running it as a portfolio company where we have someone who's heading the tree elves business, the pops business, the distribution business, et cetera, we have it organized into departments such as marketing, finance, operations, et cetera. So um, we've gone back and forth on that, but we think it makes sense for who we are and the way we want uh, our employees to interact with each other. And I guess to answer your question more specifically about whether it fits in the litmus test of, of our specific VTO, um, one thing that we are very focused on is having employees that both love to work with us and are building the culture of King of Pops consistently. And potentially the way to uh, work with employees the best is to give them opportunities to express themselves, whether it's through uh, just ideas within their current roles or just brand new ideas. So a lot of the things we've started um, in the marketing and event realm, especially, but also in some other businesses are just ideas that come from our employees. And so our King of Pops yoga, which we've been doing uh, publicly, I guess, for a few years and attracts hundreds of people each week, started out with uh, one of our employees who is a, a yoga instructor wanting to do it for our, our core group of employees. And that eventually blew up. So I don't know uh, how to answer your question other than we do things that feel right in our gut that kind of fit into the culture of King of Pops rather than an exact line of business. Um, we know that we have to be a you know year-round company to be a sustainable company. And the business always you know, needs to come first in that way because if we don't have a business, we can't do all of the, the culture building and the community building and the give backs that we like to be a part of. So um, we have become much more 
I guess, I don't know, sophisticated or um, uh, detail-oriented around around those types of things than we were at the beginning. I think at the beginning, we thought a good day, week, month, uh, season, et cetera, was if we had more cash in the account at the end of the period than we did at the beginning of the period. And, you know, as you grow, things just become, there aren't, there aren't less or more problems necessarily. They're just different problems and um, different issues to, to figure out. So um, yeah, we just sit and discuss deeply. And at the end of the day, just make a decision and roll with it. We've, we've said no to a lot of big opportunities and we've said yes to probably some things we shouldn't have. So I don't know if there's a, a key moment or, or piece of advice I would give on that necessarily. Yeah, I mean, in, in, in straight Tractionville, um, Traction Answers, uh, our, our purpose is is consistent across the companies to create unexpected moments of happiness. And then we don't know if this fits the book exactly, but we have a different uh, niche for each, uh, each sure. kind of entity. Yeah, perfect. Uh, so, yeah. Perfectly fine. I've got clients that have that. And in addition to that, when you – when you define your target market, it might be slightly different for each brand, which yeah, which which exactly. you which you can put right into your VTO, and then you go into the marketing yep. strategy, and your uniques might be a little different. So, uh, all all EOS stuff for sure. All right, when we yeah. get back in a second, we're going to talk to Nick and Stephen about the delicacies of being brothers in the VI seats. But first, a word from our sponsor. Traction Tools, the first officially licensed software for EOS. Much more than a meeting agenda, it is a powerful tool to help entrepreneurial companies streamline the six key components of their businesses and get the most out of EOS, right out of the gate. Try it free for 30 days by visiting MyTractionTools.com. All right, guys, and I'm kicking this to you, Nick. You guys have actually had a different path bouncing back and forth between the VI seats, the visionary and the integrator seats. Talk about that as, as brothers, but then also as trying to find that right fit for you in the organization and with each other. Sure. I uh, would love to. So when I, when we started and I started, it was Steven's business and his idea and I was helping out and, you know, everything was all in on, on making as many popsicles and selling them as we could. So I don't think there was much time to really think about our roles at that point. And as we uh, continued to grow, get more sophisticated, had more employees with different roles, we did realize that both we had to give some of our um, accountabilities away and also we had to manage said employees in some kind of fashion that was, was understandable. And so that kind of got us thinking about business structure and how to set up an actual company that is sustainable and long lasting. And I'm not actually sure how Stephen came across uh, traction for the first time or how you read it. Steve, you want to kick it? Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I can remember, uh, I don't know, some algorithm, I guess, in audible, I was just, aggressively reading business books and that one came across. I don't even think it was a recommendation. And I can remember how I, it might've actually been driving to a quarterly, just blood pressure increasing in a positive way and getting really excited and feeling like it was such a valuable and important time to read it. And sometimes when you're by yourself and there's no one that can really kick you off 
target. You think everything's just going to be snap your fingers and all of a sudden you've got something, but uh, it, it all just seemed to make a lot of sense. Um, and I knew that we needed a little bit of direction. Um, and it seemed like specific enough, um, but also flexible enough to fit kind of what we were excited about. Um, that's how, that, that's kind of how we landed on it. Right. So very random indeed, but, uh, put us <laughs> on a great path towards, towards where we are. I mean, today's technology to get there is, is pretty interesting. But the way we started was just that. I guess Stephen had read it, um, presented it to our then leadership team, and said, let's try this thing out. So I think we chose just a few of the tools to start with. I know uh, level 10 meetings and rocks and potentially the quarterly review or quarterly conversation cycle, um, scorecard. But other than that, I, I would say we were still pretty loose on um, the overall organization. And so that probably lasted for about a year where we were running our own self-implemented version of EOS. And it was, I don't even know if at that point we had a, a true accountability chart or we're just both kind of doing everything. But I think I've always naturally tended to be more in the um, integrator seat, I guess probably just operationally uh, minded. And Stephen is, is generally more brand and culture and people, um, higher emotional intelligence, and uh, always thinking about the next big thing, whether it is implementing something like traction or any other business idea, or just where we can sell more pops or how we can connect to our communities better. So I think that was the natural feeling, the natural order of things. And then we started implementing with a coach, um, like I said, about a year, I would say, after self-implementing. And that's when we kind of did a rewind or unwound kind of what we had done and took a step back to look at it where we started to develop the VTO, the accountability chart, and dive in to a little bit more of that structure. Um, I think at that point, I was the integrator and Stephen was the visionary based on just where we thought our roles were. But in our level 10 meetings, I think Stephen had been leading them um, up to that point. And so when I began leading them, there was probably a lack of confidence. There was still some need for all decisions to have been talked about and on the same page beforehand, which is nearly uh, impossible, I think, to, to do outside of that. And then also it was just not knowing the, the ultimate direction. And so I think I ran that meeting um, as the integrator for maybe six months or a year, switched back off where I became the visionary because I was having ideas too. <laughs> and Steve ran the meeting for a while. It was kind of whoever was in the, the level 10 um, leader seat was the integrator in our minds um, mm -hmm. because they were the ultimate decision maker for the direction of the company. And so it was always the switch off, but I feel like the skill set has always been such that I was more, um, I don't know, operationally minded. But I was going to say, did either one of you find comfort when you're in a, either seat? Like, hey, this fits really well, and I'm really comfortable here as the visionary or the integrator. Did you ever have those feelings? In my opinion, um, we've always, or both of us have felt uncomfortable in the visionary seat because it, we're both doers mm -hmm. and want to get things knocked out and feeling like you aren't, um, 
I don't know, having direct impact on an operational daily basis is, uh, is, was difficult. I know for me, and I don't know for Steve, if you felt the same way. Yeah, currently I'm, I'm the visionary and running our marketing department. So I think that's probably most, most, uh, of these interviews is a little bit messy. Um, so I'm, um, reporting to Nick on, on that. And I think we're, working on that dynamic, how that can work. I think we realized this year that I was almost not getting the support or marketing wasn't really getting the support it needed because I was giving it halftime. Um, and then also kind of doing the company stuff, which, which is probably something we could have done a better job on. But yeah, I, I would agree with Nick. I think like I get, um, about once every couple months really wanted to just dive in and do a project or execute something. Yeah. Well, you know, what's interesting to me is that, you know, we all have egos, right? And when you get into a, <laughs> a, a seat or, you know, major function of an organization, you tend to, you know, you take ownership and accountability, you know, for it. And then you end up kind of turf protecting it a little bit. And then all of a sudden you start to get yeah. a little ego around it, you know? And it seems like that's not the case with you guys. It sounds like there's not a lot of I ego think it's here. The case with me in marketing. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that I was I would just begin in I was and we weren't we just kinda of weren't talking about it. So when we did start talking about it more in the meetings, I think I was defensive. But on the VI relationship, I think not as much because I think everyone just knows that, uh, I mean, we have a good relationship and don't really think that other than what's going on right now, like either of us thinks that, I know I think at least that I, I know that I couldn't do it kind of by myself and right. we wouldn't be, wouldn't be cruising along. So I, I think, um, I think that's a pretty, I don't know how to like say that in words, but I think it's pretty clear for the, the staff. And then I think that just kind of translates through, right. through all pieces. But I would say on the marketing side, I think Nick manages me differently in my, I don't, I don't hold myself probably. And he doesn't hold me probably to the same standards. I think that is an interesting issue mm -hmm. when you do kind of have to um, be in multiple, multiple seats. That's right. Um, that I don't think we've nailed quite yet. Yeah. You guys, was there, was there, um, something that when you got into EOS, was there one of the tools, especially that you gravitated toward that created that breakthrough that you guys needed as an organization? I would say for me, in my eyes early on, it was just around the scorecard and actually tracking and talking about metrics on a regular basis. Um, before that, like I said, our, our measurement of success was how many pops are left in the freezer or how much, uh, how many $1 bills did we count at the end of the weekend or something like that. And so I think that got us really more um, in line with the realities of business and looking at, looking at all different things. And our business has kind of been on, on a roller coaster over the years of sorts. We've gone for top line sales and that um, we've done that at like all costs, which has influenced um, profitability in a negative way. And then we've done the opposite too, where we've been really tight and, um, you know, influence profitability the other way. So mm. I think the scorecard for me has been a really, a really big one. And that's really advanced over the, over the years. And now even has some, uh, forward looking forecasting components to it, which is, has been helpful as well. 
And then I think the second one in the integrator seat was uh, the idea of rocks and having the departments and the um, different leads of those departments really accountable and responsible for these things that were bigger than just their day to day, making sure the the you know uh, the sausage was being made, so to speak, right. and um, making sure to move the forward the company forward in a bigger way. But those would be my two, I think. Simple. Yeah, mine would be just quickly people analyzer, and I think the specific piece that was hard uh, or, or eye-opening for me was on the uh, right person, right seat and the GWC. So like someone could be a great person um, and not in the right seat. Uh, that was a big breakthrough for me. Um, just as you, a person that generally likes people. Um, and then uh, GWC just is a really simple way to just think through what, what sometimes can seem so complicated. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Well, listen, we are, I can't believe the time has flown by here. So guys, what we like to do is we like to end with a couple of questions and um, you can both answer it. One of you can answer it or you can each take one. The first one is it's four fifty-five on a Friday afternoon and you guys are sitting together in the office and you're, you, when you look back on the week, how do you know if you had a good week? Well, our Friday afternoons um, generally like to involve sales beers is what we call them. And if we are having a sales beer, we know it was a pretty good week. <laughs> okay. And uh, the, way, the, way, the way that comes about, I would say generally is if uh, we have positive attitudes all around, um, people are not overly anxious for the weekend. And then also something that I've been doing recently is um, the Ivy Lee method. So I read a book called Atomic Habits by James Clear, and that helped me really think more about how to structure my own days, weeks, and, and time in general. And um, basically, if I've done my Ivy Lee um, tasks for each day, then I feel like I've actually accomplished something. I know that working the hours, I'm always doing something and feel accomplished, but that, you know, seeing it in front of you in black and white is, is really helpful right. for me. So um, I think those two things. I was just going to say on Saturday, Saturday and Sunday are our biggest days. So we're also like, we would be looking back like on Monday, we kind of know a lot about like our retail sales. Sure. Um, so there, there's like a, there's a different cadence throughout the company. Whereas like the production people are wrapping up and the operations people are kind of, they're just, they're going into the, they're about to go into, uh, into war or battle. I hate to use those analogies. I can't right. think of anything else. It's about to get crazy for them. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's been great. And, and Nick and I didn't have this for, for our first five, six, seven years, maybe of, of like going home for the weekend in general, before that, it was like, where are we going to, what concert are we going to go to, to sell pops, da, 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 da. I think Nick's right. I think there's just a sense of, of looking back at stuff. And um, if people are in a good mood, uh, I think it, it is pretty telling and right. a fun place to be for sure. Sure. Yeah. yeah. When you see just a, a, a high level of morale, that's a, a great indicator yeah. of a lot of things. Yeah. Well, guys, um, the second question is, if you were giving a keynote to the Tractionville audience, and you had one minute to wrap up, what's the message you would share with the community? 
think my message would be specifically for the Tractionville folks is that you read the book and you learn from the people and you have your coach and things seem so simple. And then when you apply them to your world and your life, they seem kind of messy. And like, you want to think about like, well, my, what's different? Why is it like this? I think the reality most people I've talked to is uh, it's generally a little bit messy and it's just a path towards something that, that, that really never ends. And mm-hmm. if you're not enjoying that messy path forward, then um, you're, you're probably going to wake up one day and it wouldn't matter if you're doing EOS or anything else, the way you're running your business, you'll, 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 you'll kind of lost. Right. So uh, just realizing that it's not like a, it's, it's, it's the, it's, it's never as clear as it is written in a book. Um, but it is, it is something that is, is really directionally helpful and, and don't be too hard on yourself. Nice. Where can our audience find out more about King of Pops? The best place to find out about King of Pops is on Instagram, just King of Pops. Or if you want to have us out to an event, uh, whether we're selling or you want to treat somebody, go to kingofpops.com. Perfect. Thanks, guys. Tractionville, thanks for listening. If you're enjoying this podcast, would you rate us, subscribe, and as always, share with a friend. We would love to also hear your ideas. You can share them with us at tractionvillepodcast.com. And we release an episode every Tuesday, so we'll see you next week for Tractionville Tuesday. Tractionville.